Hello there. Welcome to the Climate Resilience Podcast Series in Namoy. And today we're on the road. Climate Resilience is a podcast of local government New South Wales. I'm Gretchen Miller, and we're looking at how communities, their councils and the joint organisation Namoy Unlimited work together on the front line of a changing climate. And we're in Walker, on the southeastern edge of the northern tablelands, thinking about how something as prosaic as water for road maintenance can make a massive difference to a town's well-being and drought survival. Walker has over 600 kilometres of gravel roads that service the community and its economic driving force, agriculture. Those roads carry everything from trucks bringing feed and fertiliser to trucks taking livestock to market, kids going to school, farmers going to town. They're socially and economically critical. But this year, Walker saw a drought unprecedented in living memory and road repair ground to a halt. As the dust from the paddocks was whipped off by the wind, so the roads also became potholed and dangerous. There was simply no water anywhere for their maintenance. Welcome to Walker. (laughs) Not many people come to this special place. We're joined by three people from Walker Council. Eric Noakes, Mayor of Walker and also a farmer. Local roads manager Luke Andrews and Tess Dawson, manager of water and wastewater. Let's meet Eric. Eric Noakes, I'm Mayor of Walker Council, a small rural council on the New England Tablelands. Where are we sitting right now? Ah, on the front lawn of our house looking to the east out over uh, Winterburn and Moona. You're a sheep farmer? Yeah, sheep with a few cattle. We're on the top of the New England Tablelands, uh, 1,000 metres to 1,100 metres above sea level. Had snow last week. Spring's about to start. We're a, we arranged in the Walker Council area from around about a 32-inch to a 52-inch rainfall as you head further east. So we're generally trap soils with basalt soils around to our, our borders on the national parks. You mentioned that the town was super busy with trucks coming in with feed and going out with stock. But the fact is your roads are like 75% gravel. So how was the impact of the drought on your road network? Like a lot of rural towns, is the artery of everything. They all come from Walker. Some of them are dead-end roads, some of them are through roads. But they take all the punishment from trucks in those times. You know, you bring in B-doubles of grain, you're sending out B-doubles of stock. Their trucks are worth six, seven hundred thousand dollars. So our road network is not only an access to our farms, but it's used by trucks that are worth that sort of money. And yeah. So what comes in? We bring in obviously grain in dry times and hay, and even in good times, we bring in fertilizer and seeds to grow our crops. Going out is wool, our sheep, our fat lambs, our cattle that we sell. They all go out. So this particular road, 13 kilometres of dirt road, how many farms are on it? How many acres? Ah, there's six farms and I would say this road would serve in the vicinity of 10,000 acres. How many head of stock? Between sheep and cattle in the vicinity of maybe 25 to 30,000 head. And so at the moment everything's pretty green and lush. I think we've gone out of what older people can remember as the worst season last year to probably what a lot of them would think would be the best season this year. It's a fantastic season, never had stock go through winter so fat. Do you think that people feel like that's behind you? I think the farming has got to the point where 
a dry month can have you worried. There seemed, even when I was younger, that, you know, you, you got two or three seasons in a row, but, you know, two months of dry weather now and we're back where we are. And I, I just think we've always got to be prepared for that now, whether it's climate change or what. I don't know, but it's, it's certainly always in the back of your mind. One person who has the drought at front of mind is Luke Andrews. Luke is local roads manager. He was on the forefront of the impact of the unprecedented droughts on the community. I asked him what his job usually entails. So generally we would have three maintenance grading crews going year round and every time we're out on a road maintenance grading we will have a water cart out there and they'll generally use you know, probably 15,000 litres each day on the road. So quite a significant amount of water to maintain those. Every day we're out maintenance grading, every single day. And how often then does a road need looking after? I guess it depends on the traffic. The traffic. Volume, yeah. So basically depending on what class of road it is and the traffic volumes, but generally a road is maintained at least once every year and in some instances three times every year. Tess Dawson is manager of water and wastewater and describes where we are as we chat. So we're standing at the discharge point at the Walker sewage treatment plant and this discharge point is where after all the treatment and detention time our water is discharged back into the Apsley River. The Apsley River leads down to the Oxley Wild Rivers World Heritage Park. As listeners would know that water is critical to road maintenance, compacting the pavement, making it passable. Where do you normally get that water from? Normally we would source that water from either water sources close by, whether that's a creek or a dam on the road reserve, or farmers lending us their water from their dam. So a truck, our trucks are about 10,000 litres Yeah, there's some of them are between 6,000 and 8,000 litres, but generally they would use that probably three times a day on the road, and generally we try and maintenance grade at least three kilometres a day each day and so yeah it's, it's quite a significant amount of water. How long were you dry for? We were dry for at least 18 months it was the worst period of time. No one knew how severe it was going to be or what we were going to be in for and then before we knew the severity of it basically we were either approached from landowners who had available water to give us that or we would have to cart from a lot further away to try and maintain that road and then it wasn't until we were sort of 12 months into it that we realised that it was you know, quite drastic. Basically all of our water sources dried up and during the worst part of the drought we came to a point where there wasn't a single water source in the Shire that we were able to utilise for, for maintenance grading. And the river dried up? Nine times. <laughs> I believe it was nine times, I can't recall. So yeah, it was quite a difficult time. Walker's obviously quite a fertile area, we have a high rainfall and so normally we've never had any issues with water sources here in the past and so it was extremely out of the ordinary for Walker. Yeah, and I mean, we're looking around now and it's green and it's lush and it's really quite beautiful. What did it look like during the drought? <laughs> it was desolate, almost. You know, we had huge dust storms that were coming through because there was no ground cover. It was extremely stressful. We were all in a state of despair, going, where are we going to get water from? Where is the water coming from? And I think the thing is, is that, you know, you have hope again, but you also know that what do you know about the future, really? Well, we, need, we need to get prepared. We need we, more than just a plan A and a plan B. When we 
don't have the water, and as in your introduction, you know, this is the lifeblood, our gravel roads, our access to the farms, to other towns, we are quite remote. Without those roads, we are cut off completely. And actually that was well uh, a good example during the fires. We are actually cut off from three sides. So, you know, if you use that as a bit of an analogy, it, they are, they're so crucial to us. We are quite landlocked. And seeing it in that state and trying to get water for town, trying to get water for roads, trying to keep our community alive, it was a tough time. The majority of our population here are farmers and these people were already suffering through the worst drought on record and to then compound that, that when they wanted to come into town, they wanted to sell livestock or, or even just get off the farm in general, they had to travel on a road that was in a in a state of disrepair. So it just compounded a lot of the issues that they were already having or facing. So it was, it was a devastating time. It's like a metaphor, really, for the time, isn't it? Yeah. The road that connects you is disintegrating. That's right, that's right. And these people would be you know, ringing up and, and wanting to talk on the phone about how we can try and fix this. And when you don't have an answer because there is simply no water to do anything, it's heartbreaking to try and talk to these people on the phone and, and reassure them that everything's going to be OK when we couldn't do anything. So what was it like for your road crews during this time? Well, certainly that was a tough period of time for them. These people are out in the public eye. They're the ones who are engaging with the farmers and and talking to them. And when they simply can't work or when they're on the roads, they're either getting abuse or, you know, trying to deal with irate members of the public. So they faced it very, very hard. And for a period of probably four to five months there, these crews weren't grading at all. So we were having to find alternative work for those crews as well. So they were also suffering a bit of a mental anguish in a sense trying to find work or knowing where the next work would be. I mean every one of our workers are local from town so their friends are farmers or their farmers so they were coming back very upset and wanting answers and we really didn't have any. So was there water anywhere in the Walkershire? At one point no. Not at all. There was water here in these dams but obviously we weren't able to use that. Did you end up using potable water at all? We didn't, know. No, there was no chance that we were going to be you know, taking away potable water that was at a high risk anyway to maintain roads. So we're in a position with a changing climate that you want to prepare and plan for future droughts, longer, more intense droughts. Now that it's all green around, is the council and community still concerned about that? Like, is there an underlying anxiety very much so. Uh, even talking to members of the public now, they're still just stepping outside of the worst route and still in the forefront of their minds that it may come back. Can you tell us about the current project being investigated? The current project that we're working on to adapt to climate change involves the use of our recycled water from the sewage treatment plant for gravel road maintenance. We need to go through a process called Section 60 approval In the Section 60 approval, there's a number of aspects that need to be taken into account. And firstly is the treatment of the water. Is it a good enough quality? We have certain challenges. We, being a smaller council and plant, we don't have the same intensity of monitoring and testing that you would have at the larger plant. So we're looking at how we improve our testing regimes to get the confidence that we know the quality of the water before it goes out. You've got the public exposure to consider. We've got occupational exposure of our staff and environmental exposure of the project. So all of those things are being taken into account. We've engaged with key stakeholders such as EPA, such as New South Wales Health and also our main stakeholder, DPI Water, who are ultimately the Section 60 approver. How did the project actually get started? 
our teams, our crews, were looking at the water and saying we would like to use this water. So during the initial stages when the council was discussing the possibility of it, we did approach the EPA and proposed the idea to them with some safeguards. And we found that we were in the same situation as Tamworth, where water was so critical and we didn't have alternative sources. And so this conversation developed and the project developed. And that's why we find ourselves here today, to try and work out how we are going to use this water safely in extreme drought conditions. Which other councils? Are there other councils in the area or in New South Wales that are already doing this? Not really. No, I, 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 no. No. So we're standing here on the side, you know, of the last stage of the sewerage works. Doesn't smell at all. And the water's discharging into the river just below us. And it then flows into National Park. So environmentally, it's reasonably okay. And I understand that you could actually draw the water from this river once it leaves the ponds. We could take the water just downstream from there without any issues, environmentally or health-wise. You can see the water discharging just here and then still within eyesight we would be able to utilise that water, but we just simply can't. So Luke, what are the risks that you're having to balance out and consider here? Certainly there is some occupational risks with handling this water. They are quite minimal and generally the crews are going to have very little contact with that water. If we were to set up a standpipe, then there simply would be no physical contact with that water. And then when they're discharging in, in, on the roads for grading, they're going to be in enclosed cabs anyway. So the actual physical contact's uh, almost nil, but obviously there is the potential for that contact. So we would obviously be managing that risk. So a busted up road which isn't graded, full of potholes, covered with dust. What kind of risk does that leave the public in who are using that road every day? Basically, they can either um, increase wear and tear to their vehicles, they could have accidents, so they might be using this road to transport stock, materials, fodder, anything like that. And if that road's in that condition, then they simply can't travel on that. So there is another aspect. Council is very experienced in dealing with recycled water. We run a sewage treatment plant. We have full-time staff here. We mitigate the risks. We look after their health and welfare. And it's something that we do on a day-to-day basis. What would it cost to upgrade your treatment to the required level for a Section 60? We looked into this a few years ago and the cost to meet the Section 60 approval was at least 2 to $3 million at the time. One of the points is we only need this water during extreme drought conditions. That's the only time it would be used. The rest of the time we have ample water in creeks and dams from our standpipes. Because obviously it would actually be too expensive to be accessing it as a matter of course, because of the travel that's, involved. That's right, that's right. So we, we would only want to use this during those extreme droughts purely because of the distance that we would have to cart this water. Now, at the time, obviously, we were willing to do that to maintain these roads, but during normal conditions, it, it simply wouldn't get used. What happens when you put this water out on the gravel road like this? Like, have you done testing to see what happens to the bacteria and all the rest of it? They've started to do some testing. That's part of the program or part of the project, just to see what the impacts might be. So far, we don't believe there's going to be any major impacts, really nominal impacts, but it's, yeah, that's part of the project to actually do some more thorough testing. Generally, the methodology that's used when you're maintaining the roads, there simply isn't the runoff that would be required to go into drains and then flow into watercourses. The actual process of maintenance grading a road is you're only using a small amount of water to get the optimum moisture content, so you don't want to overwater. So it just wouldn't happen. 
How does the community feel about recycled water on the roads? Are they comfortable with it? We've had the community approach us asking us for the use of the water themselves, asking us why we're not using the water. But we haven't gone out and done a community survey. So part of this project too is a community survey to get feedback from the community to find out about their willingness. We feel that the community would fully support the idea, but we haven't yet formally gathered that information from them. Certainly during the drought, phone calls that I was receiving or discussions I was having with the public was, why weren't we using it? How could councils work together to work with this Section 60 that you all need? I understand that it's a case-by-case basis, but is there something that you guys can do to share knowledge across the community, across the council community, to push this forward? So this project, I think, is a really good example of councils working together to find a a solution. We have the support of the bigger councils. They're happy to share their resources with us. We're happy to share what we can with them as well. But it's a two-way street and it's a win-win for both of us if we can get to the end of this together. So a major component of the Section 60 approval is engagement with the stakeholders. And next stakeholder that we're trying to engage with is New South Wales Health. Obviously there's challenges at the moment, but we need to sit in the same room with health and go through this project with them. And yet the thing is that we've got corona at the moment, and that is obviously very demanding for everyone in so many different ways. But droughts will continue to happen. So with this project, we are continuing to press on. We are continuing to communicate with New South Wales Health and to engage and to workshop through the solutions for this project. The memory of the drought is extremely raw still and, you know, here comes summer. I'm nervous already about summer and we need to mitigate whatever we can in the way to look after this community to keep everyone safe, to keep everyone healthy, to keep everyone productive and this water would make a massive difference to our small community. So we need to push forward and engage with our stakeholders. Let's return along one of those gravel roads now to the Mayor, Councillor Eric Noakes. As we look out over his green pastures and his contented sheep, he tells me he can't forget the drought as the community he's responsible for nervously faces another summer. Basically, our landscape had nothing on it. You know, everything that the animals were getting, we were feeding them, we were bringing to them. The the sell-off of stock out of this district was phenomenal. The, The number of trucks in town every day taking stock out and bringing grain in, it was unprecedented. It turned our country into just dirt, which is unheard of up here in a lot of times. We were normally a guaranteed rainfall or a bit of rain, but we didn't get enough rain in autumn in 2019 even to grow some oats, which is what normally sustains us through winter. So it was a tough time. And were you seeing topsoil blowing off the land here? Uh, yes, it was. We had a lot of topsoil blow off. We had topsoil blow in, I guess, from out west. But I think the biggest impact on our topsoil was when it did rain and it had nothing to bind it. And we just seemed to lose maybe an inch of topsoil over the whole farm. Wind has always seems to come. Uh, we could be coming into wind again this year, but last year's wind was terrible. And So if you were to offer advice to other councils who are looking at recycling water... What would you like to see happen in the future and what would you advise them to do? I think any change in using recycling water because of the the thing that immediately springs to people's mind is that it's sewerage water. 
it takes a long time to turn people's opinion of it. And I guess it's a starting point of putting it out there to people that this may be what we've got to do in the long term. And then councils to educate people in what the uses of this water can be. So the Namoy district is really leading the way in this. Would you like to see other councils also doing this? I think it's a great idea and I, th- I would like to see other councils do it because it can then spread. If we can do it effectively and efficiently, then other councils will see that it works and use it too. And, and that educates, as I said earlier, the whole community. And I think that's part of it, you know, that the whole community needs to look at it. I'm not saying that they should see it in the way I see it, but they need to be able to look at it, and currently I don't think we do. What role can councils play in changing the national thinking about recycled water? I guess all all changes come from one spot and spread out and prove it works. Then other councils, hopefully, and the, the nation would take it on because it takes a, a lot of changing people's thoughts that have been in their mind for so long, as I said, you know. Australia's had fantastic water and we've really got to start and look at it now of how much we do have. It's quite often referred to that farmers have the shortest memories in the world. When it's bad, it's always going to be bad and when it's good, it's always going to be good. I do think this has taught us a lesson and and I think it's a younger generation because historically, you know, people who lived through the good years where you had four and five and six good years in a row, droughts weren't such a problem but they, they keep coming at us now and and younger people tend to look at that differently. Eric Noakes. This has been the Climate Resilience Podcast in Namoy, part of the local government New South Wales Increasing Resilience to Climate Change project funded by the New South Wales government. I'm Gretchen Miller, and check out our other episodes. In On the Farm, we consider how farmers can keep water in their soil for longer. We're off to the Liverpool Plains to talk with Landcare award-winning farmer Craig Carter about his approach. And in Regional City Water, we look at how Tamworth came to grips with its worst drought on record and how it's looking to the future. See you next time. (laughs) Are we recording already? Yes, we are. (laughs) Um, Yes, we're recording.